Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for braving the snow. Those of you who are here, thank you for braving the snow. Uh, We're excited that you're here. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read a couple of pieces to you, uh, as I often do, as I always do, actually, uh, at the the head of the message, and then we'll go through those pieces. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read a verse. We're going to skip to Romans 7. We're going to read the second half of chapter 7, and then we're going to go into chapter 8 for a couple of verses. Um, Romans chapter 6, verse 12, these are the words of God. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Keep that in your mind as we continue to move forward. Romans chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing that what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want to do, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Waging war against the law of my mind. And making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself find that with my mind I am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, skip down to verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In order for us to understand and fully wrap our heads around what uh, Paul is talking about here, we actually have to do what many, uh, many of us fail to do in our Bible study. And that is, we read a passage, we read it out of context, and we say, ah, that's what this is saying. 
But if we're reading in context, we're going to read the beginning of an idea and we're going to skip to the end of an idea and we're going to see what conclusion, what, what thesis the writer has and what conclusion the writer comes to. Okay, It's really important that we do this. Otherwise, we come to really weird ideas of what the scripture says. This passage is one of those uh, one of those. Uh, passages. This is one of those sections of scripture where there is a lot of confusion about what is being said uh, uh, from the Apostle Paul. And so hopefully I can clear this up a little bit today. Hopefully I can help you to see what Paul is saying, both based on what he has said in chapter 6 and what he concludes of his thesis in chapter 8. It's really important that we weigh those. We can't take chapter 7 verses uh, 14 through 25 out of their context, otherwise we'll end up with a really weird idea. The ideas that are presented in this, or the ideas that are often uh, arrived at because of these passages of scripture, are this, one of two ideas. Either Paul is talking about his old self, and then at the end of chapter 7, he glories in his new self, and he leads in to the new Christian life, which is my position. Or Paul is talking about a struggle that will never end inside of our life and that we will always and forever be somehow enslaved to sin this side of heaven. The problem with that view is that it doesn't take into account chapter 6 verse 12. It doesn't take into account chapter 8, the obligation that we have not to the flesh but to the spirit to put to death the deeds of darkness. And I hope to communicate that to you. But even though that idea, I don't agree with that idea and I believe that Paul is saying this was my former self and praise be to Jesus for my new self that is able to put these things down, that is able to kill this, um, even though I believe that, here's something else I believe. I believe that the struggle in this life is real. I believe that the struggle in this life is real. As a matter of fact, I have this really cool slide that I want to show you that illustrates the struggle is real, right? It really is. The struggle is real. I mean, could you imagine a T-Rex trying to pick something up off the ground? Anyway, you guys have all heard this phrase, right? The struggle is real. It's really, really lame. I'm going to get to some real ones here in just a second. Next slide there, Ryan. This is my wife's struggle every day. Yes, got my dishes done. Meanwhile, in the other room. Moms, can I get an amen? Come on. Yeah, I saw that, right? That struggle is real, is it not? Okay, let me show you another struggle that's real. Put this one up here for a second. You see that lady right there? See that lady right there? That lady was just here sitting on this chair with her foot up, okay? She tore her ACL, correct? Right? Last week, I asked her if they, would, if they were going to the grocery store, and I asked her if she would go to the grocery store if she would get one of those motorized carts. Because I just, I've always wanted to ride one, but I've never had a reason, right? And I asked her if she would get on one of those motorized carts, go to the aisle where the bike helmets are, put one on, and take a picture for me. And Ryan took this great picture, but guess what? Getting around the grocery store, the struggle is real. It's absolutely the, the case. But here's what we need to remember about this. And this is my case that I'm trying to make for you this morning in Romans chapter 7. Although the struggle is real, this is also true. The struggle is real, but so is grace. The struggle is real, but so is grace. I saw another t-shirt that said, the struggle is real, but so is God. And I believe that what the Apostle Paul has been communicating through chapter 7, dumping out into 8, is although the struggle is real for reasons not 
associated with, with what other people say, you're still enslaved to sin. The, the struggle is real, but God, the struggle is real because we choose to allow the struggle to be real. How many of you know that? Again, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says this, So then, brethren, we are under obligation. No, that's 8, verse 12. 6, verse 12 says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. What did we learn last week? Who's in control of us now? God is in control. He has taken up residency. This is what Peter tells us. He says, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. He's Lord in your heart. Now, if he's Lord in your heart, can you submit yourself to sin according to that verse? Of course you can. Of course you can. It says, therefore, just as through, um, reading the wrong 12 again, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. You can allow sin to reign in your mortal body, can't you? But you don't have to let sin reign in your mortal body. As a matter of fact, 8 verse 12 says you're under obligation not to let sin Rain in your mortal body. So what is it that Paul is actually communicating? He's communicating a transition of natures. Listen to what he says. Starting in verse 14 of 7. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Now, is Paul talking about his current state after chapter 6 tells us and chapter 7 verses 1 through 13 says that we have been joined to another, that we are separated from the law of sin and death, that we are no longer under that bondage? Is Paul now going to contradict himself and say, oh, but here's the deal, we're still in bondage? No. Is Jesus's freedom not good enough? Will it not overcome what sin and death are able to do? Yes, it is, it is strong enough. It is able to overpower. So Paul is rewinding yet again in his idea so that we can get his picture very clearly. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh. The contrast in this verse is the law of God versus who we are. Carnal versus flesh. It's not about where we're at right now. Okay, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. I love the confusion of the Apostle Paul. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. How, how can you not understand what you're doing? You know, I get this excuse for my two-year-old lot, right? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what. Nonsense. You know exactly what you're doing, right? You're throwing things into the oven. You're, this is not good, right? You know exactly what you're doing. Why does Paul then take a two-year-old's excuse? Ah, because of what's said next. He says, for I don't know what I'm doing. I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do. The reason why he feels he's confused is because his want to is present. This is Paul's old self. His want to is present. He wants to honor God. He wants to obey him and do what God says, but he simply cannot do it. Paul makes the, uh, makes the case in elsewhere in scripture, that according to the Levitical law, according to the law of God, he is faultless. I don't think Paul's exaggerating. I don't think Paul lives according to the law by faith. And I think he knows that he has fallen short of that truth. I think Paul is talking about something uh, that he has mastered religiosity, but he has not understood that it is by faith. So 15 says, for what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing that I hate. This is a piece missed in most people's interpretation of the Bible. Paul hates sin. 
He hates these things, and yet he just keeps on doing it. Now, for the case that this can't, Paul can't be saying that he's just constantly living in sin all the time. Listen to what he says. I am doing, uh, he says, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. Verse 16. But if I do the very thing that I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. Why? Because the law is the righteous standard. And we confess that it's good because it is the bar and we fall short of it, okay? Then verse 17, so now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. My two-year-old makes that excuse as well. Anyway, so it's true, sin is dwelling in him. But is he redeemed in Jesus? Is he set free from the law of sin and death? He's already said he is. So how is it that he's going, I'm set free from the law of sin and death, but Jesus is actually not really that powerful, so I'm stuck. No. He can choose to submit, 6.12, we can see this. Don't put your body in submission to sin. Christ is Lord over your life. But he says, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Man, I love this truth. In a culture that can't, get past the need for positive self-image. We don't like passages like this. We don't like passages like this, and we don't like passages like uh, 24, wretched man that I am. Well, I'm not a wretched man. I'm a child of God. Yes, but you were a wretched man. And left to your own devices, that's exactly what you are. But we have this, we have this strange culture of, cultural obsession with having to see ourselves in a positive light. It would be better for you to see yourself honestly than it would be for you to lie to yourself and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. It would be much better for you to do that. Trust me, trust me, trust me. It is not, chapter 8 verse 1 is beautiful. There is therefore no condemnation for for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm a wretched, awful human being and I have no condemnation sitting on my shoulders because of what Jesus has done. Praise God. That's a huge deal. But there is nothing wrong. Actually, there's something terribly right about you being honest about who you really were. And who you are apart from Jesus Christ. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Elsewhere in scripture it says that all my good deeds are but filthy rags. They're nothing. But through faith, through trust in Jesus, they're redeemed for his glory. That is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Write that down. In Paul's fallen state, in Paul's brokenness, the willing's there. He just can't do it. Okay, now, first, first proof of this. Can we obey God now? Can you obey God now? Yeah, you can. So is Paul saying that I can't do good? He's saying I couldn't do good. I couldn't do good. This is my former state. I couldn't do good. Now, I'm going to prove it another way. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 19, let's go over this. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want to do. I've preached on this a thousand times. You guys, some of you are going to be bored by it. Okay. Paul says, the good I want to do, I don't do. What has Paul effectively said he does in life? Bad. The good I want to do, I don't do. So Paul says, I don't do good. 
The good, uh, the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, I keep on doing. What has Paul just said he does? Bad. Okay, do you think Paul is actually saying, here's the, here's the beautiful hope of the Christian life. You can never do good. You only always ever do bad. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for so many reasons. Chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 12. It doesn't make sense for the case that Paul has made from Romans 5 to Romans 9. It doesn't make sense. God has said in, in, through Jesus Christ that we've been set free from the law of sin and death. I have the ability through his spirit in me. I've been given everything I need pertaining to life and godliness. I've been given everything I need. But Paul is saying, tough, you still can't do it. What sense would that make, church? It doesn't make sense. So Paul is talking about his former self, okay? So in that former self, he says, the good I want to do, I don't do. I effectively do bad. But, the pra- but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. I always do bad. All the time, I'm always doing bad. What a hopeful Christian life, because that's not what he's saying. Verse 20, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Oh, there it is, Nathan. It's not Paul. It's not Paul actually doing it. It's actually sin doing it. What have I, what have I been set free from? The law of sin and death. <laughs> I've been set free. Even if, that were, even if you tried to construe that that is the case, the problem that you have is it still goes to practice. We would only always ever do bad. And so here's what the Christian church would look like. You would have no church discipline. You know why? Because we would all be doing bad all the time. We'd have a real serious problem. We'd always be doing bad, but what we would do is we would say this, I'm serving Jesus here. It's just not here. That's not what Paul's saying. Right? Paul, Paul, of all the writers in the New Testament, makes some of the, the most beautiful cases for holiness. And here he's making it again. Your former self is not good, but your new self is alive to Jesus Christ. Verse 20, but if I am doing the very thing I do not want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me. Evil is present in him. Can evil reside in a Christian? No. Okay, let's keep going. So he says, there's evil that's present in me. I find this principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. The law of sin, what were we set free from in the last chapter? The law of sin and death, which is in my members. So he rewinds to the past. And look at this. All of this is communicating this great hatred of his position. He hates being locked here. And I don't know about you, but before, before Jesus Christ was redeeming me, before he redeemed me, before the gospel was preached to me, there were things, there was a conscience, there was a law that was written on my heart, the scripture says. Just a typical Gentile, right? Typical Gentile, the scripture's written on my heart, and my conscience is, is constantly banging me back and forth. It's constantly telling me, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong. Paul said in the beginning of Romans, that was the condemnation that the Gentiles needed. But the Jews had the law of God. But the Gentiles, they were condemned in their own consciences because they knew instinctively 
the laws written on their heart, what is right or what is wrong, okay? And so before I met Jesus, before he redeemed me, it was, it was utter torment. And Paul is communicating it. He says, this is the most horrible way to live that you can imagine. He says, it's unbelievable. And then he not only that, he says that it's a war waging inside of him, right? The law of his mind making him a prisoner to the law of sin, which last we checked, we have been set free from. And then here's what he says. This is the conclusion of that war. He said, wretched man that I am. He's exhausted from that behavior. If that was the normal MO of the Christian life, if that was the standard way, he would say, wretched man that I am. Well, I guess I'm stuck till Jesus returns. Well, I guess I'm stuck till he comes back. No, 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 no. So then he goes on. He says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Now, verse 25 is the tricky one. Verse 25 is the one where people go, sorry, that's after it, Nathan. And I'm going to argue that he is, again, recapping his case, and then he jumps into the no condemnation. He jumps into the conclusion of his great thesis here in chapter 8. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the exclamation point. Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Because of what? He set me free from the wretched position, or he left me in it? I don't think I'm thanking Jesus much for being left in the wretched position. So, it says, thanks be to Christ our Lord. Now, look at this. Let me sum this up. And I, I would love to hear your thoughts on it if, you, if you're challenged by what I'm saying today. He says, so then, on the one hand, I find myself serving the law of God, but on the other, with the flesh, the law of sin. But then 12 verses later, he says, you're under obligation to submit the flesh. But you can't do it. Because the things you want to do, you can't do. You can't do it. No, we can. We can through the power of God and the spirit that resides inside of us that has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. So Paul makes this declaration in 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, say it with me, church, set you free from the law of sin and death. You ca he cannot... Trust me, church, he cannot say that line in 8, chapter 2, without contradicting himself in 7. And the Bible does not contradict itself. You have been set free from the, the law of sin and death. Oh, yes, that law that is at work inside of your members while your mind desires to follow after God. Now you have the ability, not only that your mind would want to do what is right, but that your body can trust him and you can walk after him all your ways. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. See, the law was never intended to make us right. It couldn't make us right. It was to establish the standard and to show what life is, what life is. It's beautiful. If we, would command, if we could follow the standards of God, it's beautiful in every way. This is why the psalmist says that the, the law is not bad. The law is his delight, that he, he rejoices in the law every day. Why? Because it's good, right? But we can't get there without Jesus, amen? So he says this, he says, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, say it loud with me, church, God did. Say it with me. God did. Who did it? God did. Not Nathan on his best day. It's just not true. I, just, I work at this, I strive, I, I try, but through his spirit, 
Yeah, sure, I can say, I honored you today. I think, I think David says, uh, I delight in your laws, Lord. I think that's pleasing to God. I think that's an obedient thing. But I don't think for a second David bragged, or was braggadocious about it. I don't think that's who he was. I think he was just a man who said, I'm in. I'm with you. I'm following after you. So verse uh, 3 again. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose flesh did Jesus condemn sin in? His own. The sin was condemned in in his flesh on the cross. It's dead. It's gone. It's over. Can it rear its ugly head? Yes. Is the struggle real? Yes. Why is the struggle real? Because we want it. Because we decide. You say, you say, that doesn't make any sense, Nathan. How can we want sin? If Jesus has set us free, how can we want sin? The same way Adam and Eve wanted sin before they fell. You've got to think about the garden. Adam and Eve were perfect. Temptation came. And they chose temptation. And they walked down the stupidest path in the world. And because of Adam's sin, death entered into the world and death spread to all men. What does Romans 5 say? Because all sinned. We're all sinners, right? But we have been set free. And now the struggle is real, not because we get to blame it on something hanging onto our shoulders. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You are a sinner saved by grace. That's fantastic. You're also a servant of the living God who has been set free from the law of sin and death. Apart from Jesus, you don't even want to know what I think of you or you think of me, okay? So we don't want to go there, right? But in Jesus, we are his adopted children. We are his, amen? And so what should we do? Tell dad we can't obey him because we're stuck. Sorry, dad, I can't obey you. It's just stuck. My mind wants to, but these things, right? No. We are to submit to him in all of our ways. Verse 4. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What did Paul just say we walk according to? The spirit, not according to the flesh. Does that mean you can say no to the flesh? Yes. So Paul has said in the beginning, he said, this is who I am. This is my old self. This is the man that I was. This is the wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked sinner that can't get anything right. Boy, oh boy, I see the law of God and I think that looks good. That sounds good, but I can't do it. I can't get there. But Jesus, but God, but God changes it. In his flesh. He condemns sin in his flesh. And then he calls each and every one of us to obedience. So let's keep going with it. Just so that we can reinforce this case. Verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Are we dead or alive? We're alive. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. Are we hostile children towards God? (laughs) That would be awkward. I have those, right? Again, my two-year-old, she's very hostile most days, but, but we're not hostile children towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. 
for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we were still in the flesh, if the struggle is real, means that we are redeemed, but we're still sinful flesh and there's nothing we can do about it, it means we can never please God. So just might, you might as well underline it and just take it to the bank because that's your existence. But we are not. We're set free from the law of sin and death. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. One of the most important cases for the doctrine, for this idea, that when you give your life to Jesus, you are baptized into the Spirit of God. You are filled with the Spirit of God. If not, you can't please Him, you can't do what He says, you can't do this, and you just don't belong to Christ. So that kind of bites. Next line. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. We've got to take it to the bank, church. Verse 10. If Christ is in you, though the body is death because of sin... Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, I love this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, the flesh, through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, but If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So here's the deal, church. The struggle is quite real. The struggle is quite real. Show of hands in this room. How many of you felt this week, today, driving here, you were tempted to fall short of the glory of God, to sin? And the rest of you, as I say all the time, are lying, but it's okay. So raise your hand now. But the, the, point, the, point, the point is this. The point is this. The struggle is real, but the struggle is real for one reason. Struggle is real because of chapter 6, verse 12. The struggle is real because you are allowing sin to reign in your mortal body. You know why we need accountability as Christians? For that very reason. Because come Monday morning and hitting traffic or whatever for most of you, all of a sudden you guys look at life and you say, I like that Jesus stuff, but that guy just made me mad. I like that Jesus stuff, but you don't have to put up with my boss. All of that stuff. We, we have a desire to just go back to our carnality, to go back to this flesh. But God has said, you've been set free from the law sin and death. You've been set free and you, if you have the spirit of God in you, you are under obligation to be killing the flesh every day. When that sin wells up, it's not somebody else's fault. When that sin wells up, what do you do? You put it down, right? When that sin rears its ugly head, you smack it in the mouth. You move on, okay? That's what we're called to do. We are Christians. The struggle is real, but the struggle is real because we choose to make sin Lord. Peter again tells us what we're supposed to do. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. You know what happens when you do that? Freedom. Right? There's freedom when Jesus is Lord over your life. Jesus never wants to sin, by the way. You can know whether or not you're listening to him or listening to your flesh on whether you're doing something wrong or right, right? 
but you can overcome. This is a powerful, powerful truth, church. So as, I, as we wrap up today, I want, you, I want you to study this passage of scripture. I want, you to, I want you to give your heart to it deeply this week. And I want you to see how God has called us to a life of freedom. He's, he's removed all the obstacles that are holding us back, okay? He is He's called us to life, he's removed all the obstacles, and he's given us the ability to walk uh, pleasing to him. He's, He's given us the ability to put the flesh to death. Amen. I think about the hope that God gives us, and if it, if God had called us there's all kinds of these old uh, phrases, old sayings that get thrown about, like if, if God um, has called you to it, he'll see you through it and all of these corny things. And, um, and, they, they, and they may be true, that, that's fine. But uh, I think about the, nest, the need for God's great promises. Because if God has called me to righteousness... If God has called me to put to death the deeds of this flesh, if he has called me to, uh, uh, to an obligation to honor him, if he's called me to that, but he has not given me the power to do it, can you imagine how hopeless that existence would be? Can you imagine that? It, it, so he says, I want you to live like me. I want, you to, I want you to be my hands and feet in the world. I want you to reflect my glory but you actually can't do it. You would feel hopeless all the days of your life. You would feel confused. You would feel lost. You'd keep running back and saying, why do I want to do this? But I know that I can never actually accomplish it because that's not hope. The hope that's been given to you is that you have residing in you as a follower of Christ. You have the spirit of God. He is within you and he is compelling you and calling you and convicting you and pushing you and he is drawing you in every way possible to honor God and he's also empowering you. So God says, I want you to look like me. I want you to honor me. I, the, the Romans 8 tells us that the creation is longing with expectation for the sons and daughters to be revealed. Do you know who the sons and daughters are? You, right? The the creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. But if God didn't empower us to actually do what he called us to do, their hope is futile as well. But they are longing for that day because God has empowered believers to obey him and to honor him and to rejoice in who he is and to bring about this kingdom inside of this world. It's an amazing truth. So I have great hope, but my hope does not rest in me. My hope doesn't even rest in the fact that, yes, I can finally do what God says. My hope rests in the fact in how I can do what God says because of his spirit with because of his spirit within me. And then my hope gets even better at Paul's declaration when he says, oh, and by the way, not only can you, not only can you, but all the days of your life as you walk after me, all the days as you serve me, even if you screw up, I'm faithful and just to forgive you. Call on my name, I'm faithful and just. Oh, and by the way, there's no condemnation for you. That is an immense hope. That's an immense hope. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Either that's true or God is a liar. 
And I don't want to be around you if you think he's a liar. He is good, right? So what is our hope? We have been empowered to obey. We have been empowered. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. What else is our hope? I have no guilt and condemnation over my head. I am free. I can honor God with all of my heart. This is why, church, I can boldly approach the throne of grace. I don't have to be like Adam in the garden who hid himself when he knew that he was naked. Instead, what do I get to do? I get to beeline it to my father. And most of us probably need to beeline it to our father and say, we need clothes, right? We, we need you. We need you to cover us. We need you to make us right. But we have the ability without guilt or condemnation to run to our father. That is absolutely amazing. Amazing. So today, as you go today, I don't know what you got planned. I don't know what your family's got planned. Maybe you get to sled ride. Um, as a person approaching 40, I don't recommend it for us. Um, it, it hurts. Everything hurts. But if that's what you're going to do, uh, interestingly enough, I, I really do believe that you can do that for the glory of God. I believe that you can show your, show your children the love of the Father, the love uh, of God by, by being with them and by showing them how much He cares. So whatever you do today, doesn't matter. Whatever you do today, know that you're called to something greater, you're empowered to do something greater, and you should do it for the glory of God. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much for being with us today, for guiding your church, for guiding your people. Um, Lord, we, we're just, we're in awe of you, and we want to continue to be in awe of you, and all we have to do to do that is run back to your word, run back to your truth, and, and sit and rest and see what you have said. It's an amazing, amazing thing. We praise you and we thank you for today, for all that you're doing. Get each and every one of us home safe or to our destination safe so that we can, uh, again, glory, glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' great name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.